Hello, and welcome to Real Talk About Real Identity from Axiom. This podcast is devoted to important identity trends and the convergence of ad tech and martech. I'm Kyle Holloway, your podcast host, and I'm joined by our co-host, Dustin Rainey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Talk About Real Identity. On this podcast, we like exploring the convergence and related disruption of martech and ad tech seen from the identity practitioner's lens. So Kyle, we've talked a lot about Google and Apple and the massive disruption happening across digital advertising as third-party cookies are being deprecated, aka the cookie apocalypse. But let us not dwell today on the negative. Uh, Rather, let's shine some light on some cool innovation that's happening in response, or might I say, in spite of these unilateral decisions being handed down from big tech. I think one of the most intriguing shifts happening in in brand advertising uh, budgets is the reemergence of TV as a major player, specifically connected TV, or some call it advanced TV. We're seeing crazy growth projections for connected TV in comparison to other advertising channels over the next few years. A May 2022 article written by Broadcasting and Cable, they state that connected TV is expected to fuel strong growth in digital video advertising spend this year, according to a new outlook from the IAB. And while digital video ad spending is seen growing 26% to you know somewhere around $50 billion in 2022, CTV is expected to increase 39% to 21.1 billion. Um, Kyle, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. With the acceleration of digital commerce brought on by the pandemic, not only were more consumers forced to buy things on their devices, but they're also spending more time consuming content on their smart TVs. You know, if I'm an advertiser, the connected TV becomes another addressable screen that I can add to my digital toolbox used to target high propensity customers with precision. You know, I'm no longer have to view TV as the old spray and pray channel. So, you know, the way people are consuming content has also changed. Rather than millions of people watching, you know, the same sitcom or sporting event at the same exact time, people now have, you know, complete control of that, streaming whatever content they want to watch whenever they want to watch it on whatever device they want to watch it and sometimes flipping between devices. And so, you know, I can't think about connected TV and streaming devices without thinking about Roku. So with that said, I'm super excited to introduce today's guest, Ziggy Zagrophicus, Director of Partnerships at Roku. So Ziggy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. So how about uh, you give us a quick snapshot of your background and your role at Roku? Sure, that sounds great. So quick background on me is um, I joined um, the ad tech world roughly eight or nine years ago in in 2014. I joined uh, a mobile ad exchange many people listening may have heard of called NextAge um, at the time. actually joined as the director of legal for for the company when it was a a Series B startup. I had gone to law school and practiced in New York for for many years prior to... um, moving up to Boston and then making the shift to the startup world and, and sort of fell into ad tech as a result of that. But it made sense. I had been working in commodities and, and, and some other sort of corporate functions as a lawyer um, and joining the ad tech ecosystem and learning about you know the supply and demand forces and really working on the commercial side of that gave me that sort of entry into it. Uh, and then from there was part of a few acquisitions um, from Millennial Media to AOL, and then eventually landed at DataZoo, uh, where I led the partnerships team. Fast forward many years or backwards about two and a half years from now, 
the acquisition by Roku brought me to Roku, where I'm a director of partnerships handling primarily our data infrastructure, our data vendor, and our measurement partnerships across the entire ad platform. So the experience with the acquisitions and the, you know, the prior experience as a lawyer has been really instructive, you know, in in part because of, you know, being able to deal with the complexity of a growing, you know, channel, right? A growing new space in CTV and, and having the experience with mobile, which many people, you know, sort of forget that in 2013, 2014, the mobile ecosystem was kind of going through a similar thing with a you know fragmentation of operating systems and signals and, and sort of identity, all of the different things that we're talking about now. There's a lot of sort of parallels and a lot of lessons that you can learn, you know, from that. And so it's 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 really important. And from my perspective, I'm happy, you know, being at Roku. I've always been a uh, a huge fan of TV. I used to do my homework in front of the TV when I was a kid and get yelled at by my mom, and uh, and so it makes a lot of sense. And I'm 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 psyched to be here. So thank you for having me again. Yeah, no, thank you. And I think, uh, you know, a new precedent for us having a, an actual lawyer on the podcast. So that's yeah. Former, that's former people say recovering and I'm like, well, I'm pretty recovered, but yeah, for, <laughs> no, it's, it lends go. a good perspective. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. So, um, just kind of leaning into that side of things as we dive in here, you know, let's talk about privacy kind of as a key for Roku, um, because you are, Interestingly enough, in people's living room, you know, that's kind of a one of these differences that we're seeing is that you're in their living rooms, you're able to understand who they are because of the addressable nature of it. So kind of what's the philosophy underpinning Roku's view of privacy and consent? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really important to to really think about the history of Roku, right? Because it's really easy to sort of look at where we are today and, and kind of, you know, not really appreciate where Roku came from and, and kind of what made, what brought us to this point, right, in, in sort of a leadership position in the industry. And really, Roku started in the early 2000s as a platform for consumption of streaming and, you know, streaming television. And that platform is what drives us today. And so that relationship with the consumer and with the customers that we have was always the North Star, right? So when I joined Roku and sort of learned about the culture and the history, that's actually one thing that stuck out at me more than I anticipated, which is, you know, the platform itself and the company has been very intentional in the development of features and the development of, of the platform itself, you know, advertising came into the fold, um, I think about seven, seven or so years ago, um, seven or eight years ago at this point. But there was about a 10, you know, 10, 12, 14 year history prior. And and so recognizing that the advertising came, you know, second and that what we built or had been building towards was all focused on the experience for the consumer is really important to understand where we are as as an overall company, but from an advertising perspective, you know, as we continue to grow and build our offerings for advertisers and agencies, but to understand that that's what drives us and that always has been the North Star, particularly when you consider all of the changing regulations and and all of the things that are happening with the industry on the side, you know, as we move along. For me, I'm just kind of hearing that and it's like, man, talk about being at the right place at the right time. It, it kind of reminds me of the like the the QR code thing, right? It's like all of a sudden, you know, a pandemic hits and people are leveraging a, a technology that's been around a while in a different way. For you all, it's like you've had this direct relationship with customers. You've had access to, you know, talk to them and walk them through the experience, which is now, you know, as you hear kind of the, the overarching terms in the industry, it's like so important because if cookies are going to go away and that's been what's, you know, holding this ecosystem together, right. What's going to, how, how do you now connect and, and 
my advertise, I'm an advertiser and I want to connect with you as a, a publisher or, you know, how do I do that? Well, that's going to be through first party connections. You all have that, that advantage. But with that being said, and you have in your legal background, you know, legal prowess, and you know, you kind of talked about consent a little bit. If you don't mind, let's dive into that just a little bit more. Um, so you have a, you know, relationship with the customer. They're buying your devices and, and have been since the early 2000s. Um, so what do you consider consent? How, and how does it really play in when it, when it, as it relates to advertising? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, so, you know, as part of the onboarding process and the activation process, you know, we go through, you know, a variety of sort of um, different levels of consent. And, and one of the things just to mention, you know, as we've looked towards the future, a huge component of our continued growth is our international expansion. And so as we move into those international markets, that activation process is something that you know, changes to some extent depending on the market and depending on the regulations. But we've 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 erred towards the side of of providing as much information as to how your data will be used, you know, et cetera. A lot of the things that have, you know, developed over time in the industry. And I think that's a key and core component of what the activation and sort of the let's say entry into the Roku world is. You know, one of the things kind of going back a little bit to the to the relationship and sort of how this all developed is the belief has always been at Roku, all television will be streamed. And as we've gone along, we also, you know, started to believe all television advertising will be streamed. And so if you think about what relationship you have with a consumer who's streaming, you know, content and making sure that you, you know, disclose the uses and and, and receive the right consents, et cetera, it goes from not only the consumption of media in the form of accessing your favorite channel or whatever the case may be, to understanding how the advertising that you see, depending on the channel that you have, is going to be delivered to you. And one of the funny things that I've started to appreciate, I should say, even more so being at the platform rather than sort of at the at the DSP level, is just how technically complex this project right is to stream all television advertising. You know, I talked to a lot of my friends and try to explain my parents and, you know, my family and things like that. I try to explain what exactly I do and sort of, sort of taking a step back, people are like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch, you know, I have a Roku or yeah, I watch that. You know, I watch streaming TV all the time and they don't realize and understand, you know, just the interplay of all of the different channels and publishers and the platform and this, you know, all of the different things that play into it. And to get that right and to provide the right customer experience is something that we've been so focused on for so long that it makes sense, you know, that we're in the position that we're in because we work on all of those different things, right? Like latency, sound issues, et cetera, et cetera, across the board so that the future that we've envisioned that all advertising, you know, television and television advertising will be streamed comes to fruition in a way that makes people want to engage with it. So it's sort of an interesting evolution over the course of time. That is interesting. And so obviously the consumer's at the center. I mean, the way, you know, you guys have approached it even of like all TV will stream and advertising will follow that streaming. And ultimately that's to who, to somebody, right? It's, right. It's, it's streaming to them. And so talk a little bit about how identity um, A is is viewed within Roku and, and kind of how you instantiate it, individuals versus households versus however you view the world. Uh, right. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And so, um, you know, we have, I think, over 60 million active accounts now, right? And so over the course of time and that growth, the re, you know, the way we think about it, 
has evolved, but really it, to some extent, we've been on a similar path, right? Which is, you know, we have the consumer relationship and we have information on those consumers. It's the number one most protected thing within the company because we need to maintain that trust being in people's living rooms. Like, you know, that's one of the call outs where I've mentioned that before to you guys. And we talked a little bit about about it at the top of this. It's in comparison to a mobile device where, you know, yes, mobile devices are omnipresent and we're, we're with them all the time, probably too much depending on, mm-hmm. on uh, the, the, the day or, you know, whose perspective. But, you know, it's always something you can put away. And it's not necessarily, you know, front and center, whereas the TV in your living room or whatever the case may be is, is there. And so from an identity perspective, we really tend to look more at the household level and sort of continue to develop, you know, our targeting capabilities, but really based on that consent and, you know, who's in kind of the, the signals that we have from that relationship. Um, and so that's really the underpinning and the backbone of all of what we do, you know, from a targeting and a measurement perspective. And, and Kyle, you mentioned the evolution of streaming TV and the shift toward, you know, from the, let's say, linear prey and spray, you know, model to some extent to the ability to, you know, to target on a more granular basis and measure on a more granular basis. So, you know, the effects of your dollars. I mean, that's where I think it's very interesting to me having, you know, sort of been part of the industry and continue to go along it makes a lot of sense, right? Like we know that from a marketer's perspective or from an advertiser's or agency's perspective, we want to be as efficient with dollars as possible, right? It just makes sense. And so to the extent that you can continue that evolution and push forward, it, that's where we need to go, right? Because it'll it'll make everything more efficient. But the other flip side of that and thinking more about the consumer from that lens is you also want to have more relevant content and from an advertising perspective delivered to you. I always think having been in, in the industry for a while, it's kind of funny talking to people who are not in the industry about not only privacy, but that concept of targeted advertising, even putting aside measurement, where, you know, if you talk to my mom right back in the day, she's like, I don't, I'm not going to do the Greek accent, but <laughs> it's a very thick one. Trust me. <laughs> you know, she sort of is curious as to why she's getting specific advertisements. And I'm like, I get it. But to some extent, wouldn't you want to see something that's more relevant to you rather than, you know, if you're consuming media, then something that's not. And then that's that sort of plays in. I'll stop there. But there's there's sort of another thread that we can continue on. There's many threads that we can continue on. But one of them is the value proposition of advertising in mm-hmm. television, right? And sort of why that existed. And, and it's similar to, to the internet as well. And but that's that value exchange between the consumer and the content providers or the platform is, is a really interesting one as well. I kind of like to view it as kind of like a premium screen, right? If it if it's right. if it's coming down to a screen's a screen, like and everything's connected. So your TV's connected to your phone, to connected to it's kind of like the bigger the screen and the more people, more eyes are on it, um, the more valuable it can become in a way, right? Is right. you have, and just the emotive aspect of you know what you're doing, you know, together around that screen um, can play into you know, effectiveness. Like my parents, I tell them now, it's like, hey, it's crazy. That TV you have in your living room, um, you're probably getting ads that are completely different than your neighbor next door. And it like right. blows their minds, right? It's like, um, that's that's kind of where we are. And the ability for, for a brand to now drop a, a precision ad um, that does, you know, strike the chord emotively, 
you know, that's the goal, right? And, and like, I remember when Facebook and, you know, social media kind of first started, you know, hitting, you know, and they started leveraging as an advertising platform and I would get ads uh, from brands, these boutique brands, whether it's a pair of shoes or whatever that otherwise I never would have known about. I, w- I wouldn't even known to search for it. So for that to come now to my living room, potentially, I actually welcome it. Um, I, I, I want to see things that maybe I wouldn't otherwise know about. However, I want it to be relevant to me. Uh, so I think there's there's a lot of opportunity uh, for brands to really leverage CTV in a, a whole new way. Think about it completely differently in, in, in the way it's been used in the past. I want to jump in on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. Um, and that is along this line of, of the screen and you know, essentially the personalized view of that, even at the household level, but, you know, being able to target and personalize advertisement. I saw a deal the other day, uh, I forgot who was published, if it was IAB or somebody was showing it, but essentially it was a European soccer match and the the uh, the border wall, you know, that's usually digital at this point, that kind of goes around the edge of the the soccer field. The, the advertisements shown, yeah, around the pitch. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> there you go. You tell I'm I'm an old American guy here. Uh, yes, the pitch, the uh, the the advertisement that was streaming on those screens was actually dynamically changed on the actual consumer screen based on the location of the consumer and some hmm. sense of personalization. So now we're even looking at some of those actually multi-layered. Not only is it personalizing the actual kind of standard advertisement of the show that you're watching, you know, that you're streaming, but even the content within the streaming was being adjusted based on where it was airing and who was actually watching it. And that kind of actually, even as a prediction, that actually kind of blew my mind because I'm like, holy cow, they're overlaying a different advertisement onto a digital, basically green screen on the edge of the pitch that was then um, personalized based on where I was watching because there's also a device there, a Roku in between me and them that actually has some context of who I am. So it's really getting complex. There's yeah, there, there, no, there's a lot. I mean, you know, there's a lot of new sort of innovative ad formats and a lot of stuff that, 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 that's coming out. And if you think about, you know, gaming and the ability to, you know, sort of insert ads into, into those, you know, ad units into those experiences, it's really interesting, you know, where that's going to continue to go. You know, one of the things that um, excites me, um, you know, most recently about what we've been doing is, um, and we made an announcement around around this in the new fronts um, just a few weeks ago, is dynamic linear advertising. You know what we're calling DLA, which is is really sort of furthering the concept of all you know television advertising, will, which will be streamed, which allows us to you know dynamically insert an, an, a, a targeted ad over sort of a linear broadcast. Um, and really change that experience. And that's, you know, reliant on some of our, our ACR technology and things like that. But it sort of goes to show you that we sort of, as a company, continue to push, you know, forward into that future that we believe will happen and really create the best experience for our consumers, right, at the end of the day, so that you're you're seeing more relevant advertising that makes sense for you. And so it's kind of an interesting corollary to those types of innovative ad units that you're referencing on the side of the pitch. 
<laughs> you know, the fact that that you all kind of have the device gives you more leverage in a way to make some of these kind of changes and have more innovation, bring more innovation to to the user experience. Uh, if right. you're just an advertising platform, you know, there's some limitations there. If you're, you know, just a software company, there's limit but but to have kind of more control with the devices that that consumers are using and the ability to, to leverage some of that mechanics there, I think it's got to be a pretty pretty powerful advantage. Owning the platform really changes and, and sort of bringing it back to the privacy component. It really changes a lot of the conversations that I have, you know, with our, our data partners like Axiom and, and others, you know, and, and even on the other side from uh, our conversations with advertisers. But, it, but, but really, that's the core, right? It's that relationship with the consumer and sort of respecting that privacy because we own the platform and we're, you know, we have a lot of different growth areas, but that always comes you know, down to what to what drives us as a company and really sort of the 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 mission. You know, I think over the last you know several years we've developed the Roku channel, right? And the Roku channel is is now a top five channel on the platform. You know, when you consider reach and engagement in the United States, which is both an unbelievable feat and tremendous, but it also is a really interesting way to sort of enter the concept of value exchange as well, you know, from the perspective of seeing advertising and being able to see content, you know, without paying for it and where that changes and where the industry is going to sort of continue to evolve, you know, with Netflix's, you know, recent discussion of, of potentially bringing in advertising and, and sort of seeing that type of conversation happen is really, really interesting and I would argue to some extent a validation, you know, of of the approach that we've had over the course of time. Um, but like I said, owning that platform and being where people, you know, come to trust that that their channels are going to work and the content is just going to work and it's going to be easy and it's going to be relevant to them is a really, really interesting place to be in, right? It's just an it's a it's a cool time to be in the industry, I think, in general, uh, and you know, in particular to be at Roku. You know, you're talking there about partnerships and and data, and it is a data-driven world tied together by these identities. And so that leads us to kind of these, I'd say resurgent, but some would say emergent topic of clean rooms and the ability to do kind of data exchange and in this privacy compliant fashion. I know Roku is doing some work in that space. Give us a little background on kind of where Roku is with kind of the clean room concept and how you're leveraging that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think it's it is a furtherance of our, you know, position and focus on privacy, right? So, as we've seen the developments in the industry both around sort of the cookie apocalypse for one thing, but also with the regulations, you know, CCPA, GDPR and and sort of the let's say coming wave of additional state regulations that we're we're sort of expecting and we'll see one of the concepts is making sure that that not only are we getting the right consents, right? Having that relationship, which we talked about with the consumer, but that we're also protecting that relationship as much as possible. And so with some of the technologies that are developing, you know, from a clean room perspective or data collaboration, sort of however you want to, you know, phrase it, will allow those, that, that value exchange to occur with less risk, right? I mean, I think there's a concept of how we want to share data with our advertisers and agencies, you know, for purposes of measurement and analysis and and even for planning purposes and for, you know, to allow them to have additional buying capabilities, you know, on our platform, you know, within Roku and OneView. Um, there's, there's that component of it, which will allow that to occur without 
exchanging that data, right? A less risky transaction. And the same thing goes with, you know, other parties within the ecosystem, whether they be measurement companies or, you know, data vendors and things like that, where we have the ability to say, hey, look, this is our strength. This is our identity. This is our relationship with the consumer. We're going to protect it, but we want to work with everyone and have the ability to, to, you know, run those analyses and bring in those data sets, you know, for whichever use case we're talking about, but all the while utilizing sort of new, new and emerging or evolving technologies rather to be able to do that while respecting the continued, you know, evolution of, of privacy regulation. You know, one of the cleaner use cases that we're starting to kind of see talked about is direct activation um, in the way that you just, you mentioned. So a brand, you know, they have a relationship with their customers and they have their data, but they don't want to, they want to keep that data safe. Uh, You have a relationship with your customers and, you know, you have the ability to talk to customers that the brand also has. So the ability to do a direct data share in a way, without moving data, but informing your system of who the brand wants to, to talk to and advertise to. Um, do you see that as as a viable kind of cookie-less option in the future? I mean, what do you believe are some of the maybe pitfalls? And why, why do you, I mean, how, how do you see that happening? It's a really good question. And I'll, I'll give you my answer. And then I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about it, <laughs> <laughs> being at Axiom. But, but I think, look, I think there is a degree of uncertainty in the ecosystem, right? So I, I I think about I think this about pretty much everything in life anyway, not just, you know, data and identity, but anybody, you know, trust and what is it? Um, the old adage uh, that my husband talks about a lot, which is trust those who seek the truth and distrust those who found it or something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean I think there's a lot that's gonna be, you know, that's unanswered at this point. And there's gonna be a continued evolution. So nobody has the right, you know, a crystal ball at this point. That said, I think it's clear that we're moving in the direction of enabling different ways of exchanging data, right? Or rather enabling different ways of making data sets available for these purposes, for these use cases. But I don't think it's going to be an either or a clean break where one day everything goes away in in the cookie and made space, and then everything gets taken over by this. I, I do think the key driver for the future is first-party data and the relationship that people have with consumers. So from a Roku position, that makes sense and aligns with what we've believed over the course of time. And if you're sort of a, a brand or a marketer or an agency, you, you, we see talked about that relationship and building that spine. And, and I know you guys talk about it a lot within Axiom and some of the conversations that we've had you know, around providing those services to you know brands and agencies. Um, and so I think they're going to play together, right? I think there's going to be a an, an opportunity for that identity. And I, I do think that for the most part, there will be sort of identity as we've known it continue. And it may go down and it may change, you know, I, I anticipate that changing and sort of decreasing over time. And, and to some extent, there'll be additional things we haven't even talked about, contextual targeting, right? Some of the stuff that people have talked about around cohorts and, and things of that nature, which have their own sort of challenges to figure out. But it's going to be an, a, an evolution. And I feel like in you know five or 10 years, we're going to look back and be like, wow, we're in a totally different world. We've made this huge change, but there won't necessarily be a point that happens like that, right? That everybody feels like, oh, the world is totally different today than it was yesterday. But after you know that period of time, you're going to look back and be like, I can't believe we did it in that way. Or if you were to try and take one and map it to the other, it wouldn't work. What do you guys think? I mean, I don't know how, you know, there's obviously so much change, but I'm curious 
from your guys' perspective, where you see it, where you see it changing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're starting to see more and more, you know, why maybe cookies weren't all that great of an idea in the first place. Uh, although it was, it was kind of that's that's how that's what was available uh, to enable some of these things, and that's where all the scale and reach is. So one of the problems that I think you know advertisers are, are kind of looking at or their fear is that when cookies go away, scale their ability to to actually talk to you you know, and, and reach, you know, wide audiences with precision is going to go away. And our perspective is we absolutely want to, to make sure privacy and, and the customer is, you know, front and center in that exchange and whatever technology is, is used and leveraged going forward, um, takes that, keeps that in mind front and center. Uh, but, you know, I think ways that brands like Axiom are going to come in and help is, augmenting a data share, really enhancing your, you know, a brand and a publisher or a platform's ability to connect data. Because a lot of times there's different signals on both sides that, that roll up to the same person. So that's where identity really comes into play. And, and those identity services from a first party perspective could really enhance those match rates um, to allow a brand to talk to their, their customer on your platform. So that's one area where you really see kind of stepping in and, and helping the brand do and the platform achieve your goals. I think you're both just spot on. You know, I think the adage of the cookie apocalypse, right? It gives a sense of some, it's like, again, like this moment in time when suddenly everything happens and that's not how it's going to be. And that's certainly proven right. out already, right? That, that it's a big industry. There's a, a lot of money at stake and there's also a lot of players involved. And so it's going to be something that's going to be more evolutionary than apocalyptic. And now there may be moments in certain places where whether it's legislation or, or something specific to a platform that does have a little bit of a cliff to it. But overall, you know, I think collectively we're just going to evolve into a new way of doing business. Right. And, and that's exciting because I mean, it's, it's great to see those and innovation comes and suddenly you look back and you go like, yeah, why were we so worried? You know, or whatever. It's like, look, we're at this new place and it's a new paradigm we're operating in. I think the challenge is going to be, partially more strategic in the sense of things like prospecting. How do I go about prospecting when on first party, the challenge with first party is, it's the data you've collected. So it's the right. people you're already touching. How do you touch the people you don't know, right? Where does that come in and the relationship in, in a privacy compliant fashion where I can be confident that I'm working, say with a partner like Roku, where it's like, yeah, here's my first party. Now help me reach other people that aren't here because that's the ultimate goal of advertising, right? Is to right. drive conversion, drive new business. So there's some paradigm shifts we're going to have to make as an industry of, of what does that look like? It used to be I could be like, oh, I'm going to just go buy more people <laughs> essentially and go target them. Well, now with privacy and these considerations and the direct buys, it's there is more of a... Um, mutual agreement on how we're going to do that and and that's some trust that has to be built and i think there's a general sense that like okay yes we can trust each other but with the right constraints like a clean right. room or through you know obfuscating certain parts of data that maybe one party holds that the other doesn't there's got to be trust there to do that so um i think there's a lot of uh, nuance that's going to come out in the coming years on how uh, we as the industry actually solve for these things. But yeah, I think it's going to, it's going to ease in over time and, and we're going to get there. So. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that you, we've sort of touched upon or, you know, but haven't really mentioned directly is, you know, the, the, the power of, of, of television. Right. And, and Dustin, you talked about it, right. Like the emotions it evokes and sort of that large screen experience. Right. And if you think about it, it's traditionally been used for, for branding. Right. And so I think, you know, Kyle, to that point, there's the, there's, there are multiple use cases for the device itself, which is to say branding will still be there. So you'll be able to reach a broader audience, not just necessarily those who are already part of your ecosystem from a first party perspective, but there's the component of branding. And then there's also the components of taking different activations for those who are already customers and sort of feeding them the right message at the right time, right? The the old adage. And so it's going to be really interesting to your point, how you continue to explore potential new customers and reach them with the right message while also trying to you know continue to give the right message to your consumers that you have already and i think that the the tv is really interestingly positioned to do that because it's much harder you know to, you know though maybe easier to get your message to you know tons of different devices in a mobile context or whatever providing that brand, you know, lift, so to speak, or, or really that brand presence um, is, I think, a little bit more difficult. So it, it's interesting how those two play together. Great. Hey, we're, we're getting close to time. I always hate how fast time does fly on these conversations because <laughs> they're super interesting. And so as we're kind of wrapping that up, let's dive a little bit into Ziggy himself. Like you've, you've been here, you've talked. Know, to how us. much time do we have left? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Exactly. Ziggy's Let's identity. learn a little bit here. So um, we're talking TV. You're in Roku space. You talked about you know growing up, uh, you know with the TV there with you doing homework and Saturday mornings or whatnot. So what's your favorite fictional character, whether it's TV? movies books um and in particular that you've been seeing you know on the streaming service here in the last you know two plus years when we've had a lot of binge watching opportunity so it's a it's a tough it's a tough question you know i've been thinking about it a lot i i uh one of the things we do at roku that i that i actually really enjoy is in our signature lines we put now streaming and it's it's funny because it's so relevant to our business and i'm like yes this is awesome and so <laughs> people and you'd be surprised how many people respond to you know to that line in a signature line that you don't, don't think mm. people ever read and they're like oh my god i'm watching you know x right a show that i really really enjoyed recently and has stuck out um and there's some there's there are many characters within it but um, but one of them is great uh in particular is severance did you guys watch severance on apple plus Severance is fantastic. So it has Adam Scott is the is the lead. His character's name is Mark S. And the concept is amazing. So it was sold as a I'll try and make sure I don't provide any spoilers. But the concept was, <laughs> you know, what would it be like if you go to work and you don't know anything that happened outside of work? And when you're, you know, when you're at work, you don't know anything that happened outside. And when you're outside, you don't know anything that happened inside. Mm. And everyone's like, Yeah, that sounds great. Like that'd be so cool. And it very quickly turns into something a little bit more philosophical, I'll put it that way, which, you know, this doesn't give anything away, but yeah. conceptually, how are you alive if you are only alive in a particular, you know, part in the world? How do you ever mm. know? And so, I don't know, it's just fascinating and sort of the evolution of his character has been really cool. And then we started, uh, we're, we're a bit behind, so don't say anything, but uh, <laughs> Better Call Saul and, and sort of the yeah. last season of Better Call Saul, which we watched Breaking Bad during the pandemic, in the early stages of the pandemic and sort of carried forward. And I do think that Saul Goodman across the board is 
one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting character in recent times. And maybe I'm biased because of his background, you know, or rather my background, but his evolution of a character has been so interesting. I mean, but there's so much good TV. There's so much good stuff to watch and to consume, you know, these days that it's, it's really hard to pick. What about you guys? Wow. Yeah. No, that's uh, just, I'm a sci-fi guy. I've always loved, I grew up Star Trek early on and have always just enjoyed that genre. And, and Star honestly, Wars or were you, were you oh, only, were you a Trekkie and you're no, like, no. no, I don't mess with Star Wars or both? <laughs> no, I'll do anything. Okay, Babylon yeah. 5. I mean, whatever, you know. Um, Battlestar Galactica is I, one of I my do. favorite of all time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Especially the reboot. <laughs> Another um, podcast so, episode. Yeah. Going way down. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so I kind of like that, that space opera, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I like the, the drama, but set in space and I've always been amazed by that. So recently, I mean, I've just binged in the last couple of weeks, um, the new Halo. Oh, series, yeah. Uh, I forgot about that. That's honestly, I, I mean, I went in very skeptical, just like video game adaptation. I'm not a huge gamer. And so I didn't have the context necessarily. I oh, heard, you know, I've kind of seen it. So I've just absorbed it from a storytelling perspective. And mm-hmm. it's actually pretty interesting and pretty well made. And uh, so that's been my latest. I've just been like, hey, I got to catch my halo. You know, I just want to see this thing play out. I have no idea where it's going because I don't play the game. So I don't know what the <laughs> ultimate end point was supposed to be. But it's been very interesting. I played Halo. I played a ton of Halo in law school. I did. But ironically and i know the story but i'm i was i'm curious to watch the show um and it's on yeah. my queue or whatever but the from a story perspective i'd be like oh right that like oh right i remember that level or you know i remember playing that part of that part of it but interesting i'm yeah. glad here it's good yeah yeah i, Dustin, I, I would you? yeah i would say for me and this is this is a really crazy one um it's it's somewhat not you know, super personal, but just locationally, uh, there's a, a three-part docuseries uh, called The Invisible Pilot. Um, I think it's on maybe HBO Max. And it's it follows this crop duster from Hazen, Arkansas. So my family, oh, really? are, they're farmers from Desert, Arkansas. It's so like really close, right? And this guy, it's just this, I don't, I don't want to give anything away, but, you know, he ends up working for like, was it Escobar or, you know, like Mm. flying, like he fakes his death, does all this stuff. Like you wouldn't even believe it. Um, You have to see it, but it's real. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So, so it's, it's like, man, this happened in my backyard, but it was in the early seventies, you know, during all, all the, you know, and he's, it was involved in Iran Contra. It's just a fascinating story. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what has has got my interest lately. Um, hmm. Other than that, yeah, I'm I'm like Kyle. I, I like the good old Star Wars, and then of course Top Gun here recently uh, has it's kind of <laughs> blew my mind. There um, you go. Well, it's interesting uh, storytelling. The st- I mean, the storytelling yeah. Yeah. that occurs these yeah. days. It's I mean, the opportunity for storytelling, you know, to that point is so is so cool. It's so incredible. And what I know, you know, whatever, bringing it back, one of the reasons why I, I really love working at Roku is because it's we are we are helping build the future of of mm-hmm. consumption and media and trying to bring those stories to more people and and sort of make that accessible. Which if you you know if you if you step back like any you know when you're when you work right, so you have to step back and think about philosophically the meaning and you know whatever. And it's kind of funny when you do that, and it's nice actually to take a step back and think about it. It, 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 it 
it can be great. Um, so I yeah. appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you guys about this stuff, but also step take a step back and think about it a little bit more broadly. Man, well, I will I will actually steal from that and say uh, so so grateful, uh, Ziggy, for you jumping in this chapter of of our story. Uh, of a real identity. Uh, I think a, a lot of people are going to you know, get a lot of incredible information. Um, I think people are looking for for this kind of value and, and understanding what's happening out in that the the tech ecosystem, right? As all these you know crazy trends are happening these days. Um, so thank you. Uh, we definitely want to have you back. For all of our listeners, you know, you can find Real Identity podcast episodes or other episodes out on. Uh, our website. So you can go to axiom.com slash real talk and find us there. I hope you all have a great, great day um, or evening, wherever you are or whenever you're consuming this and we'll catch you next time. Yep. And enjoy your streaming.